the Lord a hand this morning. We do owe all to Him this morning. He is certainly the reason why we're here, the reason why we sing, and the reason why we have hope of eternal life in Christ. And so I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that. I'm thankful to Him for that. Uh, he saved a wretch like me uh, for no reason other than His glory and goodness, and I'm sure glad of that. So this morning as we get ready to continue to worship through the preaching of the Word, as we always do, we're going to take a moment to read a verse of Scripture and to ask the Lord to examine our hearts to search us to cleanse us and prepare us to receive from the Holy Spirit what He would have for us. So I'm going to read to you this morning from the prophet Micah, Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, and then we'll take a moment to quietly pray before I lead us together corporately. Micah 7, 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of His inheritance? He does not retain His anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Father, we rejoice that your anger does not burn against us, that Christ absorbed the wrath on our behalf so that we could be called your children. And Lord, we fail you many times. Uh, we fall short in so many ways, and yet your grace and mercy continues to pardon us, forgive us, and use us, Lord. And so today as we gather as your people, I pray that you would just speak to each and every heart that's here, Lord, that you would challenge us, convict us, encourage us, whatever is needed today so that we would leave this place, Lord, not the same as we came in, and uh, that we would go out into a lost and dying world and shine our light bright to tell the good news of Jesus to people that need it so desperately. And uh, we'll give you thanks today for everything that happens here in this church and outside of this church. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to thank you uh, for being here with us or watching online. We are going to continue this morning with the series that we started about a month or so ago called The Struggle is Real, and the topic of struggle that we will look at today is temptation. Temptation is something that all of us, even as God's people, are not immune to. We face temptations on a daily basis, and so uh, I think that this will be, I pray that this will be something that will help you and encourage you. I did want to give you just a little bit of a rundown, too, uh, on what the next couple of months is. Believe it or not, I hate to say it, but summer is over, and we are heading into the fall uh, season. And before you know it, the holidays will be upon us. And so my plan is, uh, and God can certainly change this. He does that sometimes, and uh, he has every right to do so. But my plan is to finish up this series next Sunday. And then the following week, Brother Joe will be with us as we start revival. And then the week after that, my plan is to start a very short series in the book of Habakkuk, which you probably don't know much about, I would take a guess. Maybe you've never even read that book. Maybe you don't even know what that is. And that's okay. But I plan to preach a short series uh, through the book of Habakkuk, and then we'll be getting into the holiday season, and so we'll do some different messages uh, before starting off something new at the beginning of the year. But I just wanted to give you a little bit of an idea where I felt like God was taking me to take you so that you can be prepared. Maybe look at Habakkuk a little bit if you've never read that three-chapter little 
uh, minor prophet book. But enough of that. This morning we got some work to do. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're going to be. We're going to be back in the book of 1 Corinthians again uh, for this week's message on temptation. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm only going to look at three verses this morning. But we're going to cover more ground than that to kind of give you a context. So let's do this one last time. If you're able, stand up, stretch out, reverence, and uh, respect God's word together as we read from 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 to 14. The word of God says this, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands, you're all really standing right now. We're talking about standing uh, in the faith. That anyone who thinks he stands takes heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Father, we thank you this morning that you are with us, that you are faithful, that you provide a way of escape, Lord. And so we, we come to you as your people asking you to teach us through your word and by your Holy Spirit today to be better equipped to handle the temptations and the trials that come against us on a daily basis, Lord. And uh, just help us to, to focus on your word today, laying aside any other cares and concerns so that we can hear from you and worship you today as you deserve. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to ask the guys in the sound room this morning. I, I hope that they were able to get uh, a picture on the screen up there this morning. There, there's that handsome, cute-looking little thing uh, up there. That, that is hopefully not something uh, that you have at home as a pet. That is called an alligator snapping turtle. That little guy can get to be quite a big guy. Uh, some can be as big as about 250 pounds. Uh, they can obviously eat fish, which is their main diet, but they have been uh, known to be able to get a hold of small alligators and eat them too, hence the name. Uh, but the reason why I put that picture up there, and it might be kind of hard for you to see, but if you notice on the tip of that guy's tongue is a little pink appendage. It looks just like a worm. And what he does is he sits down in the bottom of the water with his mouth open, just like what you see there. And that little pink appendage just kind of floats around in the current. And that poor little fish is probably no longer with us um, because he was going to try to catch that little what he thought was a worm and find out that uh, it was a trap. That what looked good, what looked like food, was not that at all. It was a trap. And so I wanted to use that picture and that, uh, that illustration to say that that is exactly how the enemy entices us with temptations. The book of James talks about the progression of sin. I'm not going to take us to James chapter 1, but it talks about our lusts and our desires and how we are enticed and then we sin and sin when it is fully conceived brings forth death and James uses hunting terms there like luring the, the, the prey out and stuff. So that's a good example I felt that that picture was of how we can be enticed by temptations. And again, I want to preface that the temptation is not a sin. All of us are tempted. All of us have thoughts that come into our mind. All of us have situations that could be sinful. 
But the temptation is not the sin, it is the acting upon the temptation, which brings us into sin. And so, how do we avoid sinning when the temptations come? That's really what I want us to look at this morning, because we struggle not just by being tempted, but if we're honest as believers, we do give in to those temptations. We do fall short of the glory of God as believers. We do still sin. 1 John was written to Christians and he said, if we say we have no sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. So we can't say that we've reached sinless perfection. We're just thankful that our sins have been blotted out by the blood of Christ so that when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father who pleads the blood on our behalf. There's a quote. I don't think it's ever been attributed to anybody. It's just an anonymous quote, but it's one of those quotes that's always stuck in my mind and Uh, It comes up from time to time. And it says this, Sin wouldn't be so attractive if its wages were paid immediately. I'm going to say that again. Sin wouldn't be so attractive if its wages were paid immediately. What are the wages of sin? You got it. So when we look at the text today that we just read, you notice that in verse 13, the word temptation is actually used there. The Greek word for temptation is pyrasmos. Now, don't necessarily want you to remember that per se, but as I've tried to do in this series, I want to define things so that we're on the same page when we're talking about these words. So for a temptation, biblically speaking, number one, that word pyrasmos can also be a trial. Temptations, trials, depending on the context, Uh, It can be used both ways. But the word generally means this. It's a solicitation or a provocation to commit evil or to lapse from the faith. So it's soliciting you to sin or causing you to deny the faith or go against the faith. That is the idea that I want us to think about today. And and here's something important to remember. Because when we think about temptations, a lot of times we think about the enemy, the flesh, tempting us to do some type of evil action, tempting us to, to get drunk, to use drugs, to have an anger, a, an outburst of anger, something like that. But there are also temptations, and I think these are more common than we're aware of, there are temptations that are inward for us, a temptation to lose hope, a temptation to forget how much Christ loves us and to doubt to not have faith to fall into despair those are all real temptations that the enemy uses against God's people as well because he can certainly sideline and destroy your testimony and a ministry by getting you to fall into some grievous sin but he can also sideline you through discouragement through lack of hope through your joy being taken away. So there are several ways, and he knows these things, on how to sideline God's people. Not to lose their salvation, but to cause them to not be effective in their service to the Lord. So I want us to look at this text uh, a little bit closer. And I want us to see uh, the context of it, because obviously that's the most important thing. I, I I don't want to, we should never pull a verse out and just make it say what we want it to say. We need to let the Word of God speak for itself. And so, 
as always, verse 12 where we began starts with that familiar word, therefore, meaning that it's pointing us back. Because of what Paul just said, therefore, now I'm going to tell you where this is all going. So where, where does the therefore point us back to? What is Paul trying to tell us? Well, it goes a little bit beyond just the beginning of chapter 10. Remember, these weren't, there weren't chapters and verses until the 16th century of Bible translating. So this was one big letter. So it's actually pointing us back to verse 24 of chapter 9. That's where Paul really begins this thought. And so if we jump back uh, to chapter 9, verse 24, Paul is, is using an example that the people in Corinth would have been really familiar with. We've all heard of the Olympic Games, right? But back in the first century, they weren't the biggest, the biggest deal. They weren't the, the, they weren't the grand finale, if you will. The games in Corinth were bigger at that time. They were called the Isthmian Games. And they were similar to the Olympics, running, boxing, different sports like that would have been a part of these things. And so we see Paul use those type of illustrations a lot, and we see those those type of illustrations here in the letter to Corinth because they certainly would have been able to relate to that. And so Paul is talking about in, in chapter 9, verse 24, uh, don't you know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? Then he goes on and talks about in verse 26, I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one who beats the airs. So the illustration there is clear, is clear a sporting event, boxing, running, uh, and whatnot. But when we read these passages, when we look at this particular portion of Scripture, there's, there's differing opinions as to what Paul's trying to say. And the, and the confusion, I think, comes in with the last verse there, chapter 9, verse 27. He says, I discipline my body, uh, or literally, I buffet myself. That, that word means I, I literally, I blacken my own eyes. Now, he wasn't, you know, literally beating himself up physically. But the idea is to bring himself into submission, to have this self-control. He said, I discipline my body and keep it under control. Uh, Brother Vincent's getting started the greeting team out there, the doulos team. Well, this, this word that he uses here to say, I keep it under control, contains the word doulos, but it also means to bring along. And the word doulos is a slave. So he says, I bring, literally, I'm bringing my body along as a slave. I'm buffeting myself. I'm beating myself to do everything I can to keep my flesh, my life, under control. It sounds like he's taking this pretty serious, doesn't it? doesn't sound like he's just lackadaisical about how to live the Christian life. I think there's an important lesson there for us. Sometimes we say, well, praise God I'm saved. And we go about living life as though we're not saved. And that's a problem. That's a big problem. Paul certainly didn't view Christian living as just take it as it comes, do whatever you want. But here's where the, here's where the confusion comes in. He says, I discipline my body, I keep it under control, lest after, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. The word literally there in the Greek that we, that we would use is apostatize. And so, obviously there are different camps of, of theologians. Some would say, you can lose your salvation. Others, like myself, say that you can't lose your salvation. Uh, and so, depending on where you fall in that debate, 
is going to affect how you interpret this verse. But I would take it a step farther to say that if it's talking about salvation being lost, that's, that's that. But if you believe that salvation cannot be lost, then you have two options, I think, as to what Paul is saying here. And I can't be dogmatic about which one of those, of these, it is that Paul's saying. But both of these are applicable. Okay? Both of these would apply. Number one, there are many people who have made professions of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that weren't really possessors of eternal life. It's possible to claim the name of Jesus and not be one of His. We, we see that throughout the Scriptures. They went out, we heard this in Sunday school, they went out from us because they were not of us. Right? Paul talks about Demas, uh, a man named Demas, who once followed the Apostle Paul, once appeared to love Jesus, and he said, Demas has forsaken us, loving the world, uh, more than the things of Christ. So there are people that start well, but don't finish. But, perhaps, and I tend to feel like this is more what Paul is saying in this verse, it has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with finishing the race and receiving the prize, the rewards, the crowns that go with living the Christian life for the glory of God. Why I believe that makes sense is earlier in the letter, again, he's writing to the church in Corinth, who was very immature, who had a lot of issues, but were believers nonetheless. And so he's instructing them and, and, and really kind of um, rebuking them in a lot of ways. But in 1 Corinthians 3, he talks about the fact that all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be rewarded for the things that we've done in life. And so it makes sense to me that he has already touched on the topic of not salvation at the judgment seat of Christ, but being judged for our works and rewards or lack thereof as a result to bring this up once again. Again, I, I don't know that I can be dogmatic on that, but I believe that that is a, a good possibility. So keep that in mind because it's going to lead us into this idea of temptation that we're going to get into. But I want you to see the Apostle Paul talked about running a race and finishing that. This verse will be familiar to you, 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. So at, at the writing of that verse, Paul is in Roman prison. Nero is the emperor. Paul knows he's not going to get out of there. He knows that life is going to end. He's going to be beheaded shortly for his faith and so he's writing to Timothy encouraging Timothy to, to continue to preach the gospel and, and love God's people and he says I have fought the good fight I have finished the race I have kept the faith henceforth or because of that there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award me on that day and then look what he says and not only to me but also to all who have loved His appearing. The crown of righteousness is not something that we receive because we worked hard and we earned rewards. The crown of righteousness is something that we get because of our faith in Christ. It's His righteousness that we possess, not our own. And there's no amount of works that we could ever do that when we stand before God, He says, man, you guys, you killed it. I'm going to give you a crown for just being awesome. That's not, that's not this. This is the crown that all will receive who have placed faith in Christ and loved Him and, and endured unto the end. 
okay? But like I said, earlier in the chapter, earlier in the, in the book of Corinthians, he talks about rewards. Let me show you those verses real quick because this is important when we get in the meat of where we're going. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. Each one's work will become manifest. So we are not talking about salvation now. We are talking about how you lived the Christian life after you were saved. It matters, guys, how you live your life. You don't just have your ticket punched and say, well, now I've just got my, my ticket, and when the Lord's ready, I'm going home. It matters how you live. It matters to be obedient. It matters to live holy. It matters to witness and to serve the Lord God. We, we view all that. It's funny that we'll get saved and then we view everything else in the Christian life as optional. Church is optional. Serving is optional. Reading the Word of God is optional. Praying is optional. That's not how the Bible describes this thing at all. It's not optional. It should be as natural to you now as breathing air because you're a new creature in Christ. It's not that we live by the law and this is legalistic that I'm standing up here and saying, now you better come to church and you better read your Bible and I'm going to peek in your window and make sure you're doing that stuff. The idea is that you ought to want to do that stuff. When you were lost, nobody had to encourage you to go sin. You You loved it and you looked for it. Well, now if you're a believer, you shouldn't have to be pushed and prodded to live like one. We all need a little encouragement. We all get off on the wrong track. We all get sidelined. We all need encouraged, and maybe sometimes we need a little rebuke. But it shouldn't be every day for the next 50 years that the pastor has to call and say, hey, I'd love to see you at church. I'd love to see you at church. I'd love to see you at church. I'd love to see you serve. I'd love to see you serve. I mean, you know, at some point you've got to say, why, why is there no want to in your life? Where is the desire there if you love Jesus? And so... He says in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15, each one's work will become manifest. That's, that's encouraging in one sense, and boy, that's scary in another. Like everything that you did or didn't do is going to be on display one day. And he says, for the day will disclose it. What day? This day of judgment. Because it will be revealed by fire. And fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. So we're talking not about salvation, but the rewards that you receive for serving Christ and being obedient. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You see that? If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. What is the loss? Your rewards. You're not going to get anything. Though he himself will be saved, yet only through fire. So Paul talks about rewards there, and I believe that this is also what he is concerned about in his own life, that as he has preached, living a faithful, committed life to the Lord Jesus, he doesn't want to end up being a, a castaway. He doesn't want to tell people how to live and then not do it himself i don't want to stand up here and preach at you i want to preach as part of the church even though i am the pastor it doesn't mean that i'm exempt from the things i'm preaching i'm not saying you should serve but i don't you should live holy but it doesn't matter for me when i preach i am preaching the word to you but believe me the word has been preached to me as well as i've prepared all week for this the holy spirit has always does make it evident to me 
or things in my life need to be uh, improved or to strive to live holier in my life. So I think that Paul is, is encouraging them to live a life of obedience, to live a life of commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now as we get into chapter 10, I think it becomes even more evident. So real quick, the first four verses of chapter 10, he takes the people and he takes us back to the Old Testament account of Israel in the wilderness. So real quick, let me, let me read those verses to you. He says, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. What cloud? What cloud is he talking about? The Shekinah glory of God, the cloud that led them, that covered over them, uh, the cloud that would come down upon the tabernacle, the glory of God. That's what he's talking about. He said, Our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. What sea? The Red Sea, when the Lord parted it. And all ate, or, and all were baptized into Moses. What on earth does that mean? Baptized into Moses. It means they were united with him. When we think about Romans 6, and it talks about you have been baptized into Christ. It means we are associated with him. His death is our death. His resurrection is our dextra, uh, resurrection. There is a connection made. And so the people of Israel followed Moses. They were joined with him. They were connected with him. Paul uses the term baptized to be immersed into the life of Moses. That's what the text is telling us. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. What was that? The manna in the wilderness that God provided. They all drank the same spiritual drink. Uh, now, obviously, Moses struck the rock and water came out in different situations where they drank physically, but Paul is saying that those were just shadows of a deeper spiritual truth that was going on in the wilderness. He says they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Remember, Christ didn't just come into existence at the incarnation. The virgin birth was not the beginning of Christ. He is God Himself. He has always existed. Christ existed before the foundation of the world. He has always been along with the Son, or the Father, and the Holy Ghost. There are three in one, all God. And so it's interesting to me that when we look at this account in verses 1 through 4, five times Paul uses the word all. There were Two million, probably two million people that left Egypt to go on the exodus with Moses and Aaron. That's a lot of people. And he says all of them, all of them were under the cloud. All were baptized. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same drink. And that drink was Christ. All of those people were associated with Moses and this journey that he was taking them on, that God was taking them on. But, look at verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown, or literally cast down, in the wilderness. Think about that. Paul said all of these people were experiencing the blessings of God. All of these people literally walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. They experienced that miracle. All of those people 
got to wake up six days a week and have this, this angelic food, if you will, on the ground that they could collect and eat. They saw the miracles over and over again. Yet the majority of them perished in the wilderness. Man, that is an eye-opening verse. Because it tells me this. You can be connected to all of the spiritual things. You can be a member of a church. You can teach a Sunday school class. You can even be a preacher of the gospel. And not necessarily be in the will of God. I mean, that's what he said. All of them were a part of this exodus. But most of them God wasn't pleased with. Think about that. And then in verses 6 through 10, he goes on and explains that that illustration is for us. He brought that up for not just the church in Corinth, but for all of us reading. He says in verse 6, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Notice, they might not desire evil. Temptations come, and we can't control that, guys. You cannot control what type of temptation is going to come on you at any moment. But the desire to act on it is from you. The desire to act on it is from you. And Satan knows if he puts enough bait out there that one of those things is going to be tempting enough to your desire for you to say, I want that. I want that. I can do without that. I can do without that, but I want that one. That one right there looks good. And he knows if he throws enough out there, he can get you to act on one sooner or later. And so Paul gives examples here. He says, don't be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Probably a reference to the golden calf when they created that and had all sorts of worship and other things going on. He says, we must not indulge in sexual immorality also, which took place when they created the golden calf, as some of them did, and 20,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. You read about that in the book of Numbers. Nor grumble. How many of us are guilty of that? I've, I've, I've been praying lately for the Lord to make me more grateful. Because I, I noticed myself saying and thinking, man, everybody anymore is just so unkind. You know, it just seems like everybody's on edge, they're unkind, and they complain all the time. And then I, found, and then I thought about it, and I was like, well, I'm here, I'm complaining about people complaining. And so I, I've tried to be more mindful to say, Lord, let me be grateful. And so I, I went to Wendy's yesterday to get lunch. And, and just like Wendy's is from the time they open to the time they close, the lines, you know, all the way to CVS, right, Angie? It probably, Rick's probably looks out the window and sees Wendy's people in his parking lot at CVS. And I was sitting there, and, and, and they do a pretty good job of getting you. It's not Chick-fil-A good, but they get you through the line pretty quick at Wendy's, all things considered. But for whatever reason, it was moving slow, and it was a little bit warm yesterday, you know. And so I sat there for probably 15 minutes, and we hadn't moved a lot, and here I go. Goodness, I'm thinking to myself, goodness, my, what is taking so long here today? Well, you know, I mean, I'm hungry, and, and this, this line's not moving. And then it's just like, you know, because I've been praying, Lord, make me grateful. And it's like, hey, dummy, you're sitting in your air-conditioned truck 
getting ready to have more food than some people have in a week. You're going to eat in one sitting with money in your pocket to pay for it. And you can't wait five minutes while those poor understaffed people in that building run around and try to do the best they can. And I was like, man, here, you, you know, it's just that easy, guys. It's that easy to fall into grumbling. You know, we don't even recognize that we're doing it. He says, and some of them did, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11, now these things happened to them as examples, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So that takes us now all the way back to the therefore that we started with, right? Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands takes heed, take heed lest he falls. I'll tell you what, guys. I am excited today that I am saved. I, I am excited that the Lord forgave me of my sins. I am thankful that hell will never be a problem for me. I am glad to know that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I, amen. He deserves a hand for that. I hope that you can say today that I am excited that God has done great things in my life. That is glorious. But as a result of the wonderful grace that God has shown us, may we never just simply presume on that grace. May we never take it for granted. May we remember who we were before Jesus found us. And may we always be mindful of what He has done for us and is still doing for us as God's people. And guard our hearts against arrogance and self-righteousness. Because it's easy for us as Christians now to say, boy, you know, they're a mess out there. They're a, they're a mess out there, but I'm glad in here we're not. Really? We got to figure because that's what the world thinks. That's why a lot of people don't come to church. They're like, I can't come to church because if I come in there, the whole wall would fall down because I'd be amongst all these perfect people. Like they think we got halos above our heads and, you know, we're, we're, we're dancing around in white robes and we're just perfect, you know, and, and they don't realize that we're just sinners saved by grace, you know, that, uh, that the same Jesus we're trying to tell them about is the Jesus that keeps us, right? If it wasn't for him, we, we wouldn't have any hope. And so... We have to guard our hearts against arrogance and self-righteousness. In Luke 18, we used this text a few weeks ago, the Pharisee and the publican. And remember the Pharisee's attitude in verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this. Boy, he puffed out his chest, I bet. And he said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and especially that tax collector. Man, just the, the pride and the arrogance in that prayer is just astonishing. But we're guilty of that. We might not talk that way, but we think that way sometimes. We think that way about certain people. We look at certain people and we make judgment calls based on what we see. You know, let, let me just be honest. If somebody came in here and they had all kinds of piercings and tattoos and different colored hair and their clothes was different, you'd look at them and some type of thought would go through your mind. Now, you might not act on that thought or maybe you would. That's the temptation, though, to look down on somebody because of their appearance. Or to think well, they ought to act some other way. Maybe they don't know Jesus. And so they're only going to act like a lost person would act. We don't know. We don't take the time to get to know them. We don't take the time to get to know their story. We just make the judgment call and say, boy, I'm glad I'm not like that. I'm glad I don't look like that. Glad I don't act like that. Well, you're acting some other type of way. And God's not happy with you either. Right? So we got to be careful. Uh, about arrogance and even the best of God's people can get that way Peter did remember what he said in Matthew 26 verses 33 through 35 Peter answered him 
Though they all fall away, Lord, everybody else might fall away, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter doubled down. Peter said, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And, and then he got all the disciples to say the same thing. And it wasn't a few hours later where they ran, all ran away like scared little kids when, uh, in the garden, right? And then denied, Peter did deny him. We know the story. So in our text, thinking about that, if, if Israel is chosen by God, right? God chose Israel through Abraham. He called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and began to uh, use the seed and the lineage of Abraham to establish a people. God did that. He delivered them from bondage. He provided for them in every way. They witnessed God, and yet they fell in the wilderness. How much more should we be on guard, guys, against the temptations that come against us? Look what he says in verse 13. He says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. I want you to see that first, underline it, write it down, highlight it, whatever. There is... Every temptation that comes against us is a common temptation. You're not facing something today or yesterday or tomorrow that someone somewhere hasn't faced already. Temptation is common to man. There's a lot of things that we can be tempted by, but there is a common theme behind them, and I believe that that is seen in 1 John 2.16. 1 John 2.16 says this, All that is in the world... The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Multitude of temptations. But I believe if we could write down every single thing that you've ever been tempted by, it will fall into one of those three categories. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And when we understand that, I think it makes it easier to deal with uh, temptations. I thought about Jesus being tempted. He fasted for 40 days. He's in the wilderness. The enemy comes along. Remember, though, it was the Spirit that led him into the wilderness. So you can be right in the middle of where God wants you and still face all kinds of trials and temptations, right? John the Baptist was right in the middle of God's will while he was in prison getting his head chopped off. Don't ever think that just because you're in the middle of God's will that everything ought to go right, that it ought to be easy. You can be right in the middle of God's will and it look like on the outside everything's falling apart. Don't forget that. But in Jesus' temptations, uh, look at the things that the enemy does to Jesus. What's the first thing? It's been 40 days. Jesus is tired. He's hungry. Here comes the enemy. Turn those stones into bread. The lust of the flesh. You're hungry, Jesus. Your flesh is desiring to eat. Use your power for yourself for once. Don't worry about serving others. Don't worry about obeying the Father. Take care of you. Look out for number one. You're hungry. Your flesh wants it. Nothing wrong with eating a little bit. Use your divine power for you. That's what the enemy was tempting. There wasn't any, there's nothing wrong with eating bread. But Jesus was called and appointed by the Father to glorify Him alone not to use his divinity to fulfill his own desires. And the enemy knew that. And so he wanted Jesus to put himself first. Take care of you with your divine power. And when Jesus uh, rebuked him of that, what's he do next? He takes him and he says, 
look at all these kingdoms. Take a look, Jesus. All the wealth, all the power, all the glory, the lust of the eyes. Look at this stuff. I'll give them all to you if you will fall down and worship me. You can have all this that you see. Just a little trade-off. You worship me. And that trade-off has led many folks to hell. A little compromise with the eyes. And the last one was, throw yourself down off the temple, Jesus. If you're really the Son of God, the angels will catch you up so that you won't dash your feet on rock. Prove yourself the pride of life. Prove yourself. Show how great you are. Show who you are. You see, in all those temptations, we see those three categories come. But what's encouraging is we, we can know that the temptation is common to man, but he says God is faithful, and he won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. God is in control, guys. God is in control of the situation, right? And we need to remember, he says that God is faithful, when we're going through trials, when we're going through temptations, we feel like our world is caving in and we feel like we might be crushed under the weight, but God is faithful. God is there for us. God hasn't left. God still loves us. We need to remember those truths in the moment when we are being bombarded with these temptations and these trials. And here's one thing that I think this verse has been wrongly used as saying it doesn't say this. Read the verse again. A lot of people say, well... God won't give you more than you can handle. The Bible says God won't give you more than you can handle. Buddy, he's given me way more than I could ever handle. But he's never given me more than he can handle. That's the difference. The Bible doesn't say that God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not what the verse says. He says that, that, that he is faithful and won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. The ability that the believer has of walking with Jesus. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12... 9 and 10, he said, My grace, Jesus said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made weak, is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, calamities, because when I am weak, then he's strong. There it is. All this stuff is going to come. Paul knew all about those things. He knew about insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. But he knew his God too. And friends, that is the whole point of the text and that's what I'm going to close with here. Temptation is offering you something that will make you believe it's better than God. That's ultimately what the temptation is. God has given you himself in the person of Jesus Christ. That ought to be enough for us. But God has also given us so many other blessings. And He's given us His Word to live by. And the temptation is this. The temptation is, this way is better than God's way. This thing is better than what God wants for you. And that can be in anything. That can be in a relationship. The Bible spells out as a believer how you are to have a relationship with folks. How you're to, who you're to date, who you're not to date, you're supposed to save yourself for marriage or not, and the temptation is, don't do it that way. Do it this way. Because the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life will say, this way will feel better. And in that moment, you have a 
way of escape. What is the way of escape? Through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to do exactly what the Lord wants of you. Listen, here is the, here is the thing that we struggle with. All of us have sins that we battle. You don't have to stand up here and, and tell me what they are. But we all have sins that we battle. And the reality of that is that when we fall into those sins, we try to work harder at not doing those sins. We, we make deals with God. I did it again. God, I promise. I promise I won't do that again. Stupid. I can't believe I did it. I will never do that again. And then a week later, here we are again. Well, God, I'm sorry. I did it again. I got mad at Wendy's. I, I said I was never going to do it again, and I'm, here I am grumbling again. Listen, the way that you overcome temptations is not by working harder against them. It's by filling yourself up more with Christ so that the temptations lose their attractiveness to you. You're never going to get to a place where temptations aren't a problem unless you are so full of Christ and His Word that those things don't offer anything to you. If you're struggling with lust, you have to see the beauty and the intimacy that Christ gives. And by following His plan, if you're struggling with anger, you have to let the peace of God that passes all understanding fill your life to the point where anger is not a problem for you anymore. You can't work harder against the problem. You have to fill your life with Christ so much that the things of earth grow strangely dim, as the old hymn says, in the light of His glory and grace. That's the answer. So praise team, you come. We're going to pray and, and we're going to give a, a time of invitation. And I'm just asking you this morning, if you're struggling with temptation, maybe you've been fighting the fight the wrong way. Maybe today is the day where you need to say, Lord, help me to have more of you. I need more of you in my life. And the, most, the biggest temptation that you can face is this. You don't need Jesus today. Maybe you're here this morning and you're lost, and you know you need Christ, and he's convinced you, yeah, you need Jesus, but not today. Put it off. Work on yourself a little bit. Church, church don't want somebody like you. You need to clean up your act first. And then you come to Jesus. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you can't clean yourself up. Today is the day of salvation. Whatever your need is, you come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today, and we thank you for the blessed hope that we have in Christ. Lord, we, we all struggle with temptations and trials. Lord, and when we fall, you don't throw us away. And I'm glad of that. But Lord, I sure want to live more victorious in my walk with you. I want to do better. I want to shine brighter. I want to be more of an encouragement. I want to be more of a speaker of truth. And so, Lord, help me to grow in Christ and help those here in this room today to grow in Christ and, most of all, help them to know Christ if they don't already. So as we sing, Lord, I pray that your spirit would draw, convict, encourage whatever is needed, Lord, and we'll give you praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we stand and as we sing, if you need to come, you come.